This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Okie dokie, folks. Welcome back. Again, I'm Horticulture's Felder Russian, and this is the Gestalt Gardener, a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Hope you're having a good day today. Uh, before we get started, I want to give a shout-out, special proud of uh, Java, you know, you scored me a bunch of emails every week. I mean, I, 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 no t- how many emails do we get? Any idea? Man, on a weekly basis, oh, it's, <laughs> a, it's a, a big a number. Lot. That's all I can say. It's a big number. There you go. There you go. Well, I got a real special one this week from a, a listener, actually a supporter, MPB supporter from up in North Mississippi, who's got a friend named Blake Shedd. Blake lives in, he's from Laurel, Mississippi, down in Jones County, but he lives overseas in gardens on his patio. Uh, and he listens to MPB on our app. Isn't that wild? Got a guy listening from, from Austin. He said he's thinking about playing some blues to help his little potted plants grow better uh, in the shadows of the Alps in Klagenfurt, Southern Austria. Uh, he sent me pictures this morning of some of the, some some of his seedlings trying to grow cotton in Austria. Uh, he's got uh, he added some whimsy. He painted an old piece of metal looked like a mushroom, and even put out two blue wine bottles for a makeshift bottle tree. Maybe one of the only bottle trees in that part of Austria. Anyway, he's growing potatoes, black-eyed peas, boris, California poppies, jalapeno peppers, and herbs. Uh, anyway, just want to uh, let him know he might want to try uh, playing some of our cheesy music, see if that helps his southern garden there on a patio in the shadow of the house go a little bit better. So that's really cool. Um, let me give an upcoming event. I don't know of very many things going on this time of year that gardeners uh, in the area might be interested in, but uh, join our garden tour. It's going to be in Tupelo, Mississippi. It's going to be next Saturday, June the 9th. It's going to start around 9 in the morning. Uh, tickets are 20 bucks. You can buy them there at the uh, St. Luke Methodist Church where it starts. But it includes homes and gardens, lunch, uh, guest speaker, Shara Owens, who is a fabulous speaker, uh, garden club uh, uh, leader, uh, speaker of wildflowers and native plants. And you ought to see her garden. It is fantastic. Anyway, that's going to be the... Uh, the uh, Joiner Garden Tour, Tupelo, Mississippi, Saturday, June 9th. Starts about 9. It's sort of a, a tour as you want to go thing. T- t- ticket, 20 bucks, includes food. And uh, it starts at St. Luke Methodist Church there on Clayton Avenue. So uh, if you have some events going on, some things I can help promote, anything related to gardening at all, shoot me an email. It's garden at mpbonline.org. I might want to also mention that the Mississippi Press Association sends out my weekly column. I write something uh, weekly for dozens, send it to dozens of the, you know, the local daily and weekly papers around the state. Uh, this week is uh, about how to make your swing a little extra special. You want to find a real special little thing about how to make your swing better than everybody else's. Check out the, uh, the your local newspapers, daily, weekly. If they don't get it, they can get it for free from the uh, Mississippi Press Association. They know about that. Main thing is not your usual how-to advice. I'm not going to do the how-to types. I might squeeze a little in there, but it's mostly what I call a slice of life. What are we doing here, folks? Uh, and also, uh, before I get to a couple of emails, let me remind folks, it's a live call-in program. If you want to give us a call, it's toll-free, one eight seven seven. MPB ring one eight seven seven MPB ring and and uh, we're gonna just 
talk about gardening. I know it's first weekend, first day of June, first week of June. I've uh, got a, a couple of three months ahead of us that are not going to be that fun for gardening. Uh, but one of the things that, that I'm trying to, to recommend people do is stop thinking like a farmer. Love farmers. You know, we're a farm agrarian economy. Uh, but gardeners are not like farmers. You don't have to plant in the spring and hunker down till fall. We can plant literally every week, every month, sometimes every day of the year. Kind of not that fun in June or July, but uh, those who didn't get around to planting stuff or maybe planted too early and the frost or the rains got it, we can plant an entire summer garden. I'm talking about tomatoes and peppers and things like that. You can plant an entire summer garden as late as the first week in August here in the Deep South and get a harvest before frost. So don't feel like you have to be in a rush. You don't. Take your time. Relax. Plant a part of your garden. If you've got a big garden, break it up into smaller gardens and treat each one as an individual garden that you can plant as needed or as you feel like it or as you get harvested. Uh, but, again, don't think you have to plant everything at once like Grandpa used to do. We simply don't. Uh, if you've got some questions, shoot me in, uh, give me a call, one eight seven seven mpb ring I also want to thank all of you who wrote in supporting my, peti- my petition, petition, which just started last week. So I'll make sure our next state flag includes a big, bold, beautiful magnolia flower. It represents the magnolia state to ourselves and the world. As one writer wrote, be still my heart. Uh, this is so much better than the last choice. You know, last time we were forced to make a choice uh, that looks so generic with just stars. doesn't matter to me what you think or how you feel about our current flag, but the writing's on the wall. So please, at least do me the favor of checking out a simple one-page online site. It's called simply magnoliaflowerflag.org. Pass the word. It's about a flower, uh, something that represents us to everyone, sort of like the Lone Star State. Or, uh, South Carolina's Palmetto State. We need something that says, here's who we are, and we are the Magnolia State. Magnoliaflowerflag.org. Uh, hey, Java, let me ask you something. Is it true that I don't get paid to promote products on MPB? Do I, th- I sell advertisers? Do advertisers tell us what to do? I think that's an accurate statement. You do not get paid. Um I know by me, but uh, <laughs> you don't get paid by uh, <laughs> by advertisers. No, you don't push. Well, yeah. You don't push a yeah. product. Yeah, you know we we have sponsors which we appreciate. You know, and that's to help promote. You know their their overall impact in the community. But we don't have advertisers. Well, I got something I want to give a shout out about, and it's it's locally made. Uh, while I was getting ready to be gone for for the summer, I tried out a new string trimmer attachment. It's, it's, you take off the old stringer head. You know, when you got to bump on the ground all the time and, and rewire and all that. Uh, anyway, it works like a charm without the house having to keep uh, messing with the string. It's called the badger head. And these people are not paying us to say this at all, but I think it's so cool. It replaces the old string, any string trimmer head, with something that's invented and manufactured right here in Mississippi. Badger head is produced by the creative folks over at Multicraft in Peelahatchee. Google it, badger head. I also gave one to a friend who does professional landscaping. He says he's going to do his best to try to wear it out. Let us know how it holds up under the pressure of hard-working one-man landscape who spends half of his day rewinding spools. Anyway, check it out. Badgerhead. Made, invented, and made here in Mississippi. It's worth giving it a try. Now, let's go to Madison, Mississippi, and talk with Roger. Hey, Roger, thanks for calling. Uh, hello. 
Uh, I in my yard Hello. I have some blueberry bushes that have come up over the years, and I've just kind of let them do whatever they wanted. And but now they've gotten up to about seven, eight feet tall, and they're just kind of yeah. going wild. But they make pretty good blueberries. Do you have a brochure, or can I go online somewhere to find out how I need to trim them up and and maintain them? Well, there, there's enough information online and in books. I even wrote a book called Growing Fruits in Mississippi, but you don't need that. There's only two things to remember. As they send suckers up from the ground in the spring, snip the tips of those off so they bush out, and they will become new bushes down the road. And then when you get through harvesting the tall stuff in June or early July, just cut those back down kind of low and let them bush out. So okay. snip, snip on the new growth. Snip on the new growth in the spring and early summer so it gets bushy instead of tall. And then when something gets too big, you can barely pick it. When you get done, cut it down and let the new stuff replace it. Well, I sure do appreciate it. And pretty straightforward, man. Enjoy. And ho- ho- and by the way, it's easier to put bird netting over there if you want to try to keep the birds off of them. <laughs> well, I mean, right now I'm making enough that the birds can have theirs and I can have mine too. <laughs> There you well, go. There you, you go. But the, the more you, the, I wouldn't do any pruning past uh, on new growth. I wouldn't do any pruning on the the, the stuff that's going this year past uh, sort of the middle of July, so that new growth has time to come out and set flower buds for next year. But every time you okay. snip a branch, it bushes out. You'll have that many more berries next year on a compact bush. Well, thank you very much. Okay, Roger. Hey, appreciate you calling, man. Bye bye. Our number is a toll free. Yeah, you bet. Thanks. Our number is toll-free, 1-877-MPB-RING. Got some, some fun emails this past week. One is for Eric from Erica Pierce. She didn't say where she's gardening, but she wrote that one street over from her is a yard filled with beautiful mint and oodles of pink flamingos. Yeah, pink flamingos. She said every now and then the flamingos change their position. So this person is being tacky. They're actually getting out there and moving their flamingos around. I salute that. Anyway, she said, I noticed yesterday this new fella, a plastic turtle, and I swear I can almost hear their conversation. Anyway, appreciate that. Celebrating the spirit of uh, having a good time and also reminding me that it's not just me. Uh, also, I got an email from Josh and Gray. They're down in Boss Point. Uh, it said I gave them some advice uh, to thin out their edamame plants. In case you're not, in case you're wondering, edamame is an edible uh, uh, soybean. They're the big, big, nice, big green edible soybean type things, special varieties. Anyway, uh, I told her to thin them out. She said they're reaping the benefits. Did the same thing with the cucumbers, which were too close to each other and eventually strangled. Thanks for reminding us that quality is better than quantity, even in gardening. I appreciate that. I try to give advice as if I can give it myself, uh, if I can use it myself. One eight seven seven MPB ring. If you want to give us a call, toll free anywhere you are. Uh, had a, a question from Nate Pack about pruning his tomatoes. You know, some people talk about pruning tomatoes. You know, cutting them back, removing some of the stems, and uh, you can do that. It's no problem. But there's pros and cons. If you prune tomatoes, cut off some of the stems, what's left will have fewer bigger tomatoes. If you don't prune them, you'll have more smaller tomatoes. Main thing is don't prune them so hard that the tomatoes don't get leaf cover or they can get scalded in the sun. Tomatoes are high in the Andes. They want to have a little leaf cover on them, so don't prune them too hard. I'm Horticulture's Fellow Rushing. Toll free 1-877-MPB. We're going to take a real quick break and come back with more of your calls right after this.
Okie dokie. Folks, welcome back. Again, horticulture is still rushing. Why don't you give me a call? I know there's a lot of stuff going on. People have questions about weeds in their lawn and mushrooms popping up and, and how often the water plants. Uh, you know, I'm, I've gone a lot every summer. A lot of you know that, that, uh, that I spend some time overseas. And a matter of fact, I just got uh, over here to, uh, to England I gave a talk to a garden club the other night. Had a, a wonderful time with with uh, some of the the women and, and men. Uh, actually, a pretty good good sized crowd because they want to hear what a Mississippian had to say about gardening in England. Well, I turned the tables over on them. I talked about that gardening in Mississippi, and uh, we all agreed that was over. That we all garden the same way. You know, you dig a hole, you put something in it, green side up, you water it till it gets started, and that doesn't work. You back up and try something else. That's just the way we go. Uh, did work in a whole lot of stuff and bragging on us a, a little bit. So uh, if you want to give us a call to talk about your garden experiences, it's toll-free, 1-877-MPB-RING, 877-MPB-RING, and we'll talk about pretty much anything you want to. Uh, while I'm gone, uh, I did come up with a, a very inexpensive watering system for my potted plants. Uh, and did I mention cheap? I pull all my potted plants into one area, kind of a circular area under a under a, a, light, a lightly shaded patio, and uh, an arbor, really. And uh, what I did was went to, a, to to the hardware store, and I got one of those lawn sprinklers. You know, not the pop-up kind, the one that's just one piece. You put it out there, it throws stuff up in the air like an upside-down shower head. looks just like a shower head, except it sits on the ground. What I did was I, ran, I, I hooked it to a hose, and I ran it up to my, uh, to the, to my arbor, and turned it on, you know, hooked it to the to the to the faucet, turned it on, and it was like a just like a shower, just like what you take a shower in indoors. And everywhere the water went, that's where I put, that's where I put my plants. Uh, you know, I put them in a circle, and then a smaller circle, and higher up, and higher up. So when when some of them get water, they drip down and water the ones beneath them. Simple shower head. It covers an area about the size of my patio. But get this, I hooked it up to a very cheap timer. I got this timer, I think it was like 30 bucks. This timer has two buttons on it besides on and off. One is what day do you want it to come on and how long do you want it to come on. So I've got it set up where it only comes on one day a week. Every seven days, this, this timer comes on and it throws water out. And I have it where it waters for just 15 minutes because that is a lot of water. So once a week, my potted plants are getting a really good soaking, and then nothing for the rest of the week. It was it cost thirty bucks or so for the timer, three and a half or four dollars for the watering thing, and a piece of hose. That's all I did, and that's all my plants are going to get one good soaking a week, and they'll make it. Trust me on that. Give us a call one eight seven seven MPB ring. Let's go to Clinton and talk with Ann. Ann, thank you for calling. What's up this morning? Oh, good morning. I woke up looking at a beautiful magnolia this morning, a bloom again. But my my question is, I have a walkway that, uh, you know, like the uh, blocks of cement, and it's been down right. since 1936, and I'm getting tired of having to clean the three or four inches in between them. Is it possible that if I would put some... Um, uh, what do you call it, uh, bark, in between those, it would discourage that grass from growing. Well, is this in the sun or the shade, Ann? It's in full shade, full sun most of the day. Full sun. 
you know, if you put bark there, you're just going to have healthier, thicker grass and stuff because bark is like mulch. And, you know, so I don't think that'll help. Uh, is this a very big area? Uh, it, in the, well, it goes from a sidewalk. Uh, oh, I'm going to say it's about 35 feet long, the whole thing. Um, but well, what, what, the bar what, in between the, his, uh, the steps, the cement. That's just going to, you know... Stuff grows really well. That's just a mulched area. It'll grow right up through the bark. So, uh, what, I mean, it would look nice, but you're still going to have to kill the weeds. What I would suggest, and here's what I've done. I have a flagstone all the way around my front yard and all the way around my backyard in the sun. Uh, and what I've done is, you know, after good rain, you could take a hose and get one of those uh uh, the things you put on the end that squirts really hard like a straight stream, mm-hmm. and just go up there and blow as much of the dirt out as you can in between all the flagstones down an inch or so. Right. And then when you've got it good and clean, you know, in other words, just just, just clear out an inch or so deep dirt all the way around, and then go to a, to a, a hardware store and get some of this ready-mix concrete mix uh-huh. and just pour it out there and and sweep it in. All you got to do is just, just pour it out. And, and sweep it into the hole, and then just barely wet it down two or three times the first day. Just barely wet it down, and it'll turn into a real pretty, uh, you know, it, it'll fill in between them like mortar mix. Oh, okay. You know, and if you if if you get the regular concrete mix, the uh, ready mix stuff, uh, if you if if you sort of when it's kind of dry, you can take a broom and lightly brush it, and it'll expose the gravel in it. So it'll be prettier than, than just in between your steps, but oh, that's the okay. easiest way in the long run. Okay. But uh, an inch deep, and just put it out there and sweep it in. But be sure to to wet it down really good, two or three or four times the first day, so it sets up without cracking too much. Right. Okay. All right. I'll try that. It's a little trouble. Thank you. It's a little trouble, but it sure works. You bet, and appreciate your call. Okay, folks, I've got some cheesy music coming up in just a second. Pretty appropriate for those of us who get out and garden a little bit. But before we do that, let's go down to Mobile, talk with Louise. Good morning, lady. How are you? Hello, I'm fine. Thank you. I have a whole bunch of little green uh, satsumas coming up on my satsuma tree. And you said if I cut them back, the ones that survive will be sweeter and bigger. So how? Nope, that wasn't me. I didn't say that. Well, somehow. No, if if you cut if you cut them if you cut them back, the plants will be more compact and easier to pick. But it's not going to affect the size of the fruit, really. Oh, really? Hmm. Yeah. Because uh, no, few no, it, ago, I, pardon me. Uh, what 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 uh, what commercial fruit growers do is when they have in the springtime when when they see how many fruits are on there, whether the satsumas or even tomatoes or peaches or whatever, when there's a cluster of fruits, while they're still small, not much bigger than a marble, they'll pop off all but two or three in each cluster, and the ones that are left there will get bigger and sweeter. But it doesn't have anything to do with it. It's just removing a few of the fruits when they're still small, no bigger than the size of a marble, and that's done in the springtime. It's called thinning the fruit, and that does work. So right now, is it too late? They're about the size of a little cherry tomato. Um, you know, it's it's hard to say, but you, the, you, the earlier you do it, the more benefit. It wouldn't hurt if you've got several clusters. Try it on a few. Uh, thin some in a few clusters and leave some unthinned, and let's see for ourselves. But, you know, once they get about the size of marble, start really maturing, you kind of lose that benefit. But I don't. they may not be too far gone yet. But uh, okay. try to let us know which ones do best. 
okay, it just breaks my heart to cut off those little things that try so hard. <laughs> okay, I know, I know. You but, you know it, it, but it it breaks my heart every time I pluck an eyebrow because I grew that myself. But the ones that are left <laughs> seem to look better. <laughs> okay. Good luck on it. Bye. Louise, thank you for calling. I appreciate it. <laughs> Maybe I could have come up with a little bit better metaphor there. But it is important to thin out plants that are too thick and to thin out fruit that's too thick because what's left will be better quality. This is We're not talking about puppies or kittens here. We're talking about tatsumas. Anyway, let's go over, slide a little bit to the west, talk with Hugh calling from Biloxi. Morning, Hugh. Good morning. Um, How are you, sir? I'm doing well, thank you. And yourself? So far, so good. Okay. Uh, my question is about deadheading uh, blooms, and in particular, chrysanthemums and coreopsis. Oh, here's the, here's the deal. On, on things that make seeds, uh, coreopsis and other things that make seeds, when the flower is faded, if you'll pop those flowers off, the energy that would have gone to make it seed a lot of times they're going to make it more flowers. Not that big a deal on plants like chrysanthemums that are just flowers. You know, you can prune your chrysanthemums back and they'll bush out, but uh, the idea of deadheading is to neaten things up and also to, to, to keep plants from going to seed, which keeps ever-blooming plants blooming. A lot of times uh, there's a hormones produced by seeds that are forming that repress new flower formation. So, you know, in the case of some things that bloom all the time, if you'll keep them wasting time and get rid of that, that uh, negative energy, I guess, by dead hit them, it works. But only on things that bloom all the time. Well, uh, and then the coreopsis will reseed themselves later on? or Well, you know, coreopsis are typically, you know, they're, they're sort of one-shot flowers. You know, they bloom really, really well in the spring. And then you want to let some of them make seeds so that they'll reseed themselves and come around. I'm thinking things like uh, like zinnias and salvias and uh, marigolds and flowers like that that we don't really grow them for the seeds. We grow them for more flowers. The things that will bloom all summer, it'll help them. But in general, if it's a one-shot thing like like, uh, like coreopsis or other wildflowers, I'd let them go ahead and make seeds so they can replace themselves for next year. hope that's okay. not too confusing. No, no. I, I called last year about putting in some native plants, and so I did, uh, and they're blooming. And then uh, I was thinking, well, I think they're supposed to make seeds, but they made a lot of flowers. And then yeah. my salvias, the red salvias, they've all they bloomed. And I like to think there's another set of them coming up. Another Not coming yeah. up, but another set it, of blooms yeah. going to pop out of them. Yeah. Yeah, most of those kind of things, if they can bloom all summer, like I say, if you let ever-blooming flowers set seed, it slows them down. And uh, but if you if you pop off the, the old flowers, they don't waste energy making seeds. But things like uh, wildflowers, I, I live in, Let me ask you this. Has your chrysanthemum already bloomed? Because some of mine Yes. Has. Yeah, I, they've... Well, the, yeah, I was, I'm really surprised. Well, the thing about chrysanthemums, they're what we call short day plants. They get triggered in the setting flower buds when the days are short and the nights are long. Usually that happens in the fall. But if we have a cold enough winter, they get a head start in the spring. Sometimes they'll spring in the short days of bloom in the short days of spring. Some of mine did. And uh, last week I just cut them back so they'll be bushier this fall. 
soon as they get through blooming, uh, the more you prune them, the thicker they get. They'll bloom a whole lot more compact in the fall. So chrysanthemums, uh, they're getting tall and leggy. I cut them back pretty far and let them bush out for fall. So that, so I can go ahead and, as they finish, I can cut them off and then they're going to bloom again? Yeah, yeah. Chrysanthemums typically bloom in the fall or sometimes in the spring if we have a, a cold winter and a long spring. It just worked out that way. Sometimes they just... Yeah, they, they sometimes they get fooled by the weather, but they're, you know. So, anyway, if we have a, a, a cold winter and a nice, cool spring, they think it's fall, and they'll bloom. But they'll rebloom again this fall. <laughs> okay. It's weird, ain't it? It's That's weird. It's weird, yeah. people. You never can figure out what they want. Good luck on it, sir. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Bye. All righty. I think before we get to our cheesy music... Um, and remind folks, it's a call-in program, one eight seven seven mpb ring Let's go up to talk with Jim in Madison. Hey, Jim. Morning, Good sir. Good morning. I have a question about Maypops. Um, are they annuals or perennials? Uh, some, they, they can be perennials. The, the, our native ones are perennials, and they'll come back for roots. Uh, some of the tropical ones, you have to treat them sort of like peppers or perennials in tropical places, but... Uh, some of the tropical ones you have to replant every year. Our natives are perennial, though. You cut them back, and they'll sp- come back up from the roots. Okay. Are either natives or tropicals vining, or are they bush-type things? Uh, mo- most of them are vines. Uh, most okay. of them are what, pretty vigorous vines, as a matter of fact. Do they need trellising? Yeah, that or a fence. You know, the maypops, our native ones, they're, they're kind of unruly. They're not pretty vines. They're okay, and they bloom great. But late in the summer, there's a little furry black caterpillar that just completely wipes out their leaves, which is fun because it's the larvae of one of our cutest little butterflies called the Gulf Fritillary. Gulf Fritillary is uh, oh, well, yeah, that's a little Oh, yeah, that's a beautiful butterfly. That's a beautiful butterfly. Yeah, but unfortunately, they will really booger up. They will really booger up your vines. And when that happens, just don't worry about it. But they're not really pretty, so I'd have something else growing nearby to take your mind off the the destruction that's going on. Okay. Do they need? Uh, I guess they need pretty much full sun most day, most of the day. Yeah, yeah. Where you see uh, our native maypops, which is Passiflora. Passiflora is an unbelievably exotic plant. Uh, where they grow naturally, native, it's going to be in miserable, hot, dry, you know, along fence rows without a whole bunch of care. So just right. don't, you know, don't 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 overwater or over fertilize. They're tough plants. Okay. Great. Thank you. Okay, Jim, appreciate it. Hey, I appreciate you being part of the program, too. Folks, we're going to take a quick break. Got some cheesy music to play. We've got some fault calls coming in, but plenty of lines open. If you want to give us a call here at MPB, one mpb ring I'm Horticulture Spiller Rush. We'll be right back. She's pretty as a daisy, but look 
she's crazy She'll really do you in If you let her get under your skin Poison And I become the creeping around Measles will make you bumpy And mumps will make you lumpy And chicken pox will make you jump and switch A common cold will fool you And whooping cough can cool you The poison I will lower will make you itch You're gonna need an ocean Of calamine lotion You'll be scratching like a hound The minute you start to mess around Poison Ivy Poison Ivy Late at night while you're sleeping Poison Ivy comes to creeping around Measles make you bumpy And mumps will make you lumpy And chicken pox will make you jump and switch A common cold will fool you And whooping cough can cool you Because of the spring we've had, the spring was fantastic. The poison ivy in my neighbor's yard is the most vibrant, glossy, vigorous. It has arms stretching sometimes six feet out from tree trunks. It is a fabulous plant. I'm so allergic to it. I've uh, got some other things to chat about, but we've got this person from up in what I call the icebox up in Corinth named R.C. Collins. Morning, R.C. I really appreciate you hanging on for so long. What's up? Good morning. Uh, I'm from originally from South Mississippi, and I've transplanted some Catawba trees from down there up here. And yeah. how can I get how can I get the worms to start coming back to them uh, year after year, or whenever they you know reproduce themselves? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. Um, and here's the deal. You know, it's like you're fishing and you got the right bait, but you're fishing in a hole that ain't got any fish in it. So you got to right. stop the pond. So if you can if you find somebody uh, down south, anybody who's selling live Catawba worms, buy some of those and put them on your trees. And what happens when they drop it down, when they turn in a cocoon and drop down at the ground to overwinter, they'll come out as a moth sticks here and they'll hang around. But mm-hmm. you, you, you got to salt you got to, you know, you got to stock the pond first. And otherwise, you know, Catawba moths are all over the southeast, but but just like hummingbirds, if they can't find your yard, they're going to stay wherever they are. So you might need to uh, plant sure. enough of them out there, you know, and then sort of salt the area a little bit, try to get them started. I see. Okay. I've got a row of about six trees. So if I planted 
uh-huh. the top of worms on a couple of those trees, they would probably go from tree to tree, wouldn't they, eventually? Well, no, the, the caterpillars, you know, they, they're not real bright. They stick right where they are. They eat the leaves as best they can. Then they drop to the ground as as cocoons. These are moths, so they're not chrysalis. They're right. cocoons. And mm-hmm. they're, in the, they're overwinter in the ground that way and come out the next spring is catalpa moths. See, so uh, sure. another thing to keep in mind, if you got a bunch of fire ants, you might want to keep them under control because fire ants will eat catalpa worms. But uh, anyway, you put them on there and just let them eat to the heart's desire when they drop to the ground next spring, you might have some catalpa moths that then in turn will lay lots and lots of eggs. Gotcha. And one one other thing, when when I had the trees down in South Mississippi, it seemed like we had constantly trying to battle the brown. It's like a, a wasp, a brown wasp. They would lay eggs yeah. maybe on the catalpa worm itself, and of course that would eradicate yeah. the worm. Uh, how would you? How would you? Get rid of that brown wasp. That uh, he's going to show you, up eventually. You, yeah, you 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 really can't. But the the good thing is, it might be that they're not up there too. And if you import some some worms, they may have like a stronghold, like a fortress out in the woods that the 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 wasp may not find them. The trick is, you know. And, and by the way, we see this even on on uh, those great great big green tomato hornworms. We see this on that too. And some people see the benefits, some people see the destruction. The main thing is put enough out there, like one of my earlier callers, enough blueberries for, for the birds and you. Put enough catalpa gotcha. worms to, to, to get them started. you got to you know, have overwhelming forces. Thank you, Mr. Russian. Appreciate it. It's a weird world, man. Appreciate you calling about it, though. <laughs> okay. Now let's go to Columbia. Hey, John, what's going on? How's it going? Um, I've got a vine that grows in my backyard wild. It's a uh-huh. really delicate vine, and it just fruit comes up on it. They're kind of watermelon-shaped fruits. They're solid green. They're about three inches long, about an inch and a half in diameter. And um, they are, when they're, they, they kind of smell funny while they're on the vine, but they ripen. It seems like they ripen for about 15 minutes a year. And they're very sweet and taste great, but they're they're so fragrant and sweet that as soon as they ripen, the bugs and the birds are all over them. And I don't know what these things are. Do, do they look sort of like a little cucumber, melon, squash type of thing? Do they have that kind of vibe? Yes, yes. Okay. What what you're seeing, uh, we have a lot of, you know, when we grow uh, cucumbers and watermelons and things like that, we're actually growing hybrids that people come up with over a long, long time. What you're seeing is one of the wild ancestors. And a lot of times, if you let ours go to seed, they start reverting back to that ancestor. Some people call them pocket melons because they back before deodorant, people would carry them around in their pockets because it made them smell better, which people around them appreciated. Uh, really? so, you know, Google... Google Queen Anne's pocket melon and see if it's not if it's not that exact one. It's going to be something really really close to it. But it is a like a it's not a gourd. It's not a cucumber. It's not a watermelon. It's one of those wild curcubits. It's a close relative. It's really gotcha. cool though. Not much. You know you can eat them if you want to, but you know. Eh, you know well, like I said they're kind of, they're, they're kind of sweet. I, t- I took a taste and they're kind of sweet, but they seem to. To ripen and disappear in less than 24 hours, so it's really rare to find one yeah. that's actually untouched and ripe. Yeah, I mean it's a great wildlife food. I mean your wildlife says thank you very much, John. We appreciate they this. Love it. 
They love it. <laughs> yeah, anyway, good, good, good. Now, I've heard people call them, uh, what's the other name, uh, plum, uh, plum Grannies, Plum Grannies. A lot of folks up, up in North Mississippi call them Plum Grannies, but that's what I call Palm Granites. But anyway, okay. Crockett Melon, if you Google that, you'll find all sorts of varieties. It's kind of a cool thing. Okay, I appreciate it. Okay, enjoy. Wow, there's so many observant folks out there just notice a little thing. That's what gestalt means. It means the whole thing, not just planting and harvesting, but everything about it is what makes it a gestalt thing. Let's go to Madison now and talk with David. Hello, sir. Uh, hey, fella. Uh, I have hey. a question about Hey, what's up? Um, is it too late for me to plant some seeds? I raised some cucumbers from seeds earlier in the year, and I've got a, acres of vines, it looks like, and I'm getting some cucumbers. But I didn't put them on a trellis or anything like that. And what I was going to do is is uh, try to plant some from seed now for the fall. Yeah, you you can you can plant seeds of uh, of summer type things like cucumbers and melons and I mean you can plant watermelons July the fourth and still get a harvest before fall. End of July first of August is sort of the cutoff day for getting a harvest before fall. The only thing you got to watch out for to answer your question. Yeah, no problem. But uh, the later you plant certain things like cucumbers and squash and, and corn and stuff, the more you're going to have to deal with insects and stuff like that. So make sure your plants are well-spaced, got pretty good dirt, so that the, each one is as vigorous as possible. Because otherwise, you, we tend to run into more problem insects diseases and stuff later in the summer. But no problem, though. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. All right. Hey, that was easy. Appreciate that. Okay, folks, I'm Horticulture Seller Rushing. We're going to take a real quick. Uh, we got a break coming in just a second, but let's see what Steve's up to. Steve's calling. Where Where are you? Somewhere on the road, right? Yes, yeah, so I'm right outside of Batesville right now, traveling through Mississippi to jump okay. on public radio. I just All righty, what's up? Yeah, I just had a question. I got some apple trees planted up around the Jackson, Tennessee area, and I've had them in the ground for about four years. They've grown really well. Uh, got them. I pruned them well. Real open design on the inside, but the problem is I've never had a bloom on them, and I think maybe I've cut them back. There's all of them are spur bears, and I don't think I've maybe developed the spurs well enough. Uh, and I was looking for some advice on how to do that a little bit more efficiently. Yeah, that's a good question. And pruning pruning can be a, a little tricky there. Um, I really can't answer your question without looking at it, but you do want to keep them thinned out, you know. Not sure. a whole bunch of, you know, to, to you know, and that's the most important thing. But once you do that, you need to leave those little spurs. I don't know how you can get the spur-type apples. I don't know how you can get new ones to grow on there. But uh, I, I tell you somebody you can talk to. You uh, you live there in Jackson? Yes, sir. Okay. If you get a chance, you know right where the uh, where the, those two main highways, 70 or 70, whatever it is, and 45 – Right there, there's an, uh, the, the uh, University of Tennessee has an experiment station. Right. Okay. I don't know if you noticed it. Well, there's a woman there named Carol Reese. She's from okay. the outside straw, a little, little, little town called Sessons, Mississippi. And uh, anyway, she's sharp as a tack, and she works with, with both home and fruit growers. And if you could take her some pictures of those sometimes, Carol's real approachable. She's just spot on. But, okay. uh, you know... You can send me some pictures, close-ups of it, and I can make a guess, or you can take it uh, there and talk to Carol, because she works with more apple growers up in okay. northern than we do in Mississippi. 
Okay, that sounds good. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely keep that in mind and try to get a hold of her. I sure appreciate your time. Yeah, I, you know, I, just, I would. Both of we just need pictures in our head. Otherwise, we're just blah blah blah. You know. Right, I understand, and I, I did like this past couple of years try to leave a little bit longer, you know, to kind of give that spur a chance. And you know, everything I'm reading yeah, is saying yeah. leave three or four buds on there and don't just trim it back. And uh, I did it mostly yeah. the first two years just to kind of get in the shape that I want. And uh, but there you go. Now, now I'm kind of I'm wanting to see some more spur growth, and uh, that's what I'm trying to encourage. Well, after the first. After the first one or two or three years of pruning, you've pretty well done all the heavy pruning you need to do, and you can kind of back off on them now. Let's see what okay. happens. But also, shoot me an email. I can put you in touch with Carol real easy. She's a great gal. Okay. Sounds good. I sure appreciate it. Okay, Steve. Appreciate your call. Well, folks, my name is Felder Rushing. I'm a horticulturist, retired horticulturist, trying to be a better gardener. That means lightening up on some of the rules. Me and Java my producer, and all the folks at MPB, we bring this garden party to you because there's an opportunity to sort of loosen up, lighten up. If you want highly detailed horticulture information, I can do that. i got degrees on top of degrees. But if you just want to enjoy what you're doing, enjoying the ride, the journey rather than the destination, I can help with that too. Shoot us an email anytime at garden at mpbonline.org. Garden at mpbonline.org and I'll get right back to you as fast as I can. We're going to take a real quick break. This is the Gestalt Garden. It's a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. We'll take a real quick break and remind you we got the lines open at one eight seven seven mpb ring We'll be right back after this. If you're a sustaining member of MPB Think Radio, we appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, Go to mpbonline.org. I just got an email uh, from uh, Walterine Dinkins. Wants to know about controlling moles. And I answered the question. She just wrote back this morning and said, it wasn't moles. It's voles. Voles are a little, not much bigger than your thumb, little rodent-like things that tunnel around under lawns and in flower beds. And they, unlike moles, which eat worms and grubs, voles actually eat plant roots. Um, and they can really over-aerate the soil, too. Unfortunately, we do not have a good control for moles, voles, squirrels, uh, neighborhood teenagers. We don't have a good control for any of those kind of things. Uh, we have traps. You know, if you know where the little holes are coming up, you can put a pot over it, weight it down with a brick or something, and put a, um, a mouse trap baited with peanut butter under it. And believe it or not, that actually works. We don't have any kind of poisons or repellents that really work well. These are the kind of emails I get all the time and trying to, to, to be as, as honest as I can about what we can and what we cannot do. Um, we have a caller from Hazelhurst called Larry. Good morning, sir. Yes, sir. We, Hello. Uh, yeah. Hello, there. Hello. Yep. What's up? You on the line? Uh, yeah. We had a, a dead azalea. I bought a new one and started digging up the old one, and the fire ants ate me alive. So uh, I didn't have a good uh, fire ant killer. So I, I had a lot of uh, uh, selling dust, and I just poured a half a can of it, 
And I came back the next morning, the ants were gone. So I planted my fire. I planted my yeah. rosaea. And I went around the house and putting that on every other fire ant, and none of them worked. Now, what, what what was it you put on it? I heard everything but what it was. Oh, seven dust. Seven dust. Yeah. Seven yeah. dust. Yeah. Like you I'll, I'll tell you. Yeah. yeah. But I didn't think it would work, but it, 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 it killed insects. But it, it killed them one time, but not any of the others. Well, here's the deal. Seven dust is what we call a stomach poison. It works on insects that eat it, and it poisons them that way. It doesn't work as well as contact things like the liquid sprays. So I think when you put that first on there, it must have irritated them or scared them to where they just moved because oh. seven dust normally won't kill fire ants. You, okay. you know, that if you want to use something that, yeah. I had some uh, stuff with a major name. I forget whether it's ortho or spectroside. It was granules. And man, I started putting it around, and I started reading the fine print. You're supposed to put a gallon of water on every pile. Well, I got 30 up in the yard. I couldn't do that. So what do you recommend? <laughs> didn't work. Put them on there and without okay. water. No good. So what, what do you first recommend first, that I can put on that don't require a lot of water? There, there is an insecticide, and you know, and people rarely hear me recommend insecticides on the program because I have a fire ant mound that's probably big as my truck in my front garden, and I just leave it alone. And they don't, you know, as long as you have one alpha mound, they, the rest of them sort of eat around. So I can live with a few fire ants, but if you wanted to put something on there that's going to really do a good job, there's this very smelly stuff called orthene. You don't want to put it all in the vegetable garden, but if you put just a little bit of orthene, sprinkle around each mound, it does a real good job, and it only causes, in other words, it's not going to cause problems, environmental damage all over your yard. But to me, the most effective and the safest environmental way is to get a liquid insecticide, mix it with water. It doesn't take much, teaspoon, tablespoon, but a gallon of water sounds like a lot. But if you'll do five of them this afternoon when they're all in the mound, they're going to be gone by morning. Tomorrow, do five more. You know, in other words, if you do it a few at a time, do it late in the day when the ants are in their mound. That gallon of water takes that little bit of insecticide down all around. It's a lot safer for you and really cheaper than, you know, putting stuff on, on mounds all the time. But uh, so I, I really think that drenching them out, mixing a little insecticide with water and pouring a perimeter around it and then put the rest of it on top like pancake syrup, if you do that late in the day, you're done with that mound. Do five or ten tonight and you, you've gotten a third of them done for good. And, you know, to me, that's more effective. A little trouble, but it works. But uh, meanwhile, the stuff called orthene, a little bit will do you, but it's a it's a pretty bad insecticide, so just keep it on the fire ant mounds. Spell orphine. Or orphine. O R C I I can't spell a whole T H E N E something like that. Anyway, that's just one. The liquid insecticides work fine. A little trouble, but they work if you do it late in the day and use that whole gallon. Thank you very much. That help? That's okay. Helped. Good Thank luck you. on it. Thank you. Bye bye. You know, it's always so weird uh, with insecticides. So, by the way, I just got a uh, uh, an email from Charles Sherwood. I'll answer this uh, email, but I just got it here while we're online. It says, what's the proper role for a use of root stimulators? The truth is, yeah, they really don't make any difference at all. Root stimulators are mostly stuff plants already got plenty of. The, the main use for root stimulators, other than profit at the place that sell it, is it gets you to water your plant. If you'll give your plants a really good soaking, if you loosen up the planting, the roots and potting soil, do a pretty good job of planting stuff, and um, 
uh, and just keep them water without wet, you don't need root stimulators. It's almost a marketing gimmick. What you're buying is is 99.9-something percent water. So in the in the cynical uh, insider thing with garden centers, and I was raised in garden centers, is, well, it gets people to water. No, it gets them to water, and they give you a $5 bill to get them to water. Excuse me, I'll give them that advice for free. Water your plants, forget the root stimulators. Horticulturists are going to parse the details and say, well, technically it has a little bit of effect, yeah, but not $5 worth of effect. Just water your plants, forget the root stimulator. Trust me on that, folks. I'm trained in it. I don't sell anything for a living, but I used to. Anyway, I've had a pretty good time. If you want to shoot us an email today or anytime, garden at mpbonline.org, I'll get right to it. I mentioned the, the other day that I gave a talk. I mentioned earlier I gave a talk the other day at a garden club here in England. They were fascinated by the fact that we have maypops and magnolias and oak leaf hydrangeas and leatrice and redbuds and dogwoods and goldenrods growing wild. And if you'd like to help celebrate that heritage and say who we are, go to a website. It's called magnoliaflowerflag.org. Org means organization, not com, not net. Magnoliaflowerflag.org. One page. Just read it and think about it. It doesn't matter to me what you want because everybody's got one vote, but... Do us all the favor at least checking it out and being thoughtful about it. The Gestalt Garden is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. My producer is laid back with hardworking Java Chapman. Phone greeter has been the esteemed Kevin Farrell. I'm your host, Stella Rushy, and I'm going to think of all of y'all as I get out about here in northern England. Hope you and my gardens are faring well. The main thing, if you see every day as a new day to give things another chance to give it a go, go to a garden center or a farmer's market. Stop telling the kids to go outside. Instead, take them on one or take one or two to a field trip. See if you can show kids how to do what we do best, and that's get dirty.